didn't. I just, I think there's like more meat on the bone for other movies. And like if other people pick this movie, right, then you save it for that. You were one of the people that picked it. Did I? <laughs> that doesn't sound like me at all. Yep. I would. I was. I was looking forward to doing Stick It. Honestly, I will do Stick It at some point. I know. Which one is Stick It? It's the bad gymnastics movie with Missy Pegram. It's not bad. It's got Jeff Bridges in it. Yeah, exactly. He carries the movie. You're pu- you're pumping the clutch. <laughs> okay, I remember this movie. You're popping the clutch. I don't know what's being talked about right now. It's okay. You don't need to know, Amanda. You will think less of us for it. Yes, you will. Especially Dow. There's- Especially me. There's no lower. For Ryan, yes. Yes. <laughs> that is accurate. I didn't realize that I guess the girl from this movie is also the the hot underage girl in waiting. Oh, in Stick it? it? Yes. Oh. I thought yeah, we were talking about the uh, hostess. <laughs> yeah. Natasha. Natasha is the stuck up gymnast in Stick It. Oh, the one that Ryden Reynolds wants to bang in waiting. But she comes around in the end. Spoiler I mean, alert. Didn't, didn't we all, though? We ready yeah. to get going? We ready to sure. get started? Yeah. How's everyone doing? Everyone doing all right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doing better now that I've rediscovered Stick It. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like we got a third for the cast, boys. <laughs> all right. So we've got Brandon. we got Brian. we got Amanda. I haven't seen her in a while. Is it Brian or is it Dow? Because depends on who you ask. You're confusing the people. That's true. I have an identity crisis. That's okay. I don't mind that. I don't need a brand. Why don't we just call him Brian Dow? <laughs> One word. Let's, like, let's like David Chang. Like David Chang. David That's Chang. Racist. That's true. That is racist. Um, <laughs> no, we haven't had a man in a while. So hello, welcome back. Glad you're here. I missed you. Oh. Oh, did you? Did. He did. I did. I certainly did. The movies you guys were watching were just not for me, so I just passed. Father of the Bride's not for you? I know. Come on now. Father of the Bride's for everyone. I've never seen Father of the Bride in its entirety. Oh, my God. But I kind of wish I was on that podcast because I learned that you have emotions. Oh, yeah. And I would have liked to have called you out on that because- See? This is content you're a goddamn liar. You've already called me out on one thing in front of everybody. Which part? The Comcast? No, the, the Ready Player One. You've read Ready Player One. Oh my God, that was so funny. I couldn't believe it. Because he, he agreed you, so readily. I meant, I know I'd that man does it. not read. No. That's Again. why they make a movie, so you don't have to read the book. Oh my God. The, the movie I is. I couldn't get into the movie. Because it's, it's not the same. Yeah, Ready Player One. The movie is, is, is rough. Yeah. I tried, is, though. I've tried It's nothing times. like the book. Yeah, that's the problem is if you're expecting the book, it's really rough. It's like it's like if you were I – I don't even know what to compare it to. It's like every challenge is completely different. Like the, the, the heart of the book is completely different. We all sound really pretentious because we're like the book is better than the movie. No, I've never read the book either. Oh, really? So, hey, but you didn't like the movie either? No, the movie is – it's so hard to get into. It's, it's disconnected. Yeah. Like if you don't – if you hadn't read the book, you don't know what's going on in the movie. But if you have read the book – the movie doesn't yes, match up with the book. Yes, and so the other just, thing is, a lot of the movie was fan service for a newer generation, whereas the book was fan service for kids that grew up in the eighties. Uh huh. So not like all the characters and things in the movie were like, you know, like Street Fighter or things that like nineties and two thousand kids would know, right? 
I guess maybe I should read the book. <clears throat> okay. Hey, the books aren't always better than the movie. Case in point, Jurassic Park. True. Did, you have I've the read same... Jurassic Park. You have? Yeah, I read it in seventh grade. It was worth 25 AR points. What is that? What? You didn't have What's... AR reader? Accelerated reader? Didn't you go to school in Houston? Yeah, but I was in like, they were like, oh, you're just going to read. We don't have to give you stuff. And I'm like, yeah, true. Oh, it's because we went to low-income high schools <laughs> and elementary schools. I wanted my book it deal where I got my free personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut. I would just get spanked if I didn't read, so that was my motivation. I know. Oh, we got a we got a whole deep dive coming on that. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about our, our Asian discipline stuff. Yeah, Ryan thinks he's had like a really tough life with his parents. I'm like, you've been coddled all your life. What are you talking about? If I could tell the stories. <laughs> Is there a statute of limitation on child abuse? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What are we talking about here? All right. So the movie we're going to do is... <laughs> Speaking of coddled children. Yeah. There we okay. go. Great yeah, segue. I'm ready. Um, exactly. So we've got 1986's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The movie premiered on June 11th, 1986. So this week it'll be the 35th year anniversary for this movie. Can you believe it? It's as old as you guys are. Yeah, it's two years younger. A year younger for me. Oh, yeah, two years younger than me, one year younger than Ryan. The movie brought in $70 million worldwide on a $6 million budget, making it the 10th highest grossing film of 1986, which was actually shocking because I couldn't think of 10 movies from 1986, and then I saw yeah, the list and I was... <laughs> true, but then I saw the list and I was like, wow. There are some really good movies in 86, if I'm All right, not you mistaken. go, Brandon. What do you got? Read the IMDb. <laughs> Because I have no idea. I love this game. I love name the movies that like made more money than the movie that we're doing. I knew three right off the bat. Okay, go. Top Gun, okay. Aliens, okay, and Ruthless People. Because that was number nine. Hmm. Ruthless People is a really funny movie. Never okay. heard of it. I never heard of it. Yeah, it's good. It's a Danny DeVito movie. I love Danny DeVito. He's awesome in it. Bette Midler, You're- Judge Reinhold. Ooh, Judge Reinhold. Yeah. He's Did Stand the, By Me make more or less money than Ferris Bueller? I think Stand By Me was in that list. I saw the 10, and those three stuck out to me. I couldn't remember the other ones. I'm sure yeah. there's I'm sure there's a bunch. But anyhow, who yeah, else? I guess the standouts for me would be what Labyrinth, Platoon, and... Oh, Platoon. Probably Stand By Me. Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. So it was a great year for movies. But oh, and this Pretty one, in Pink. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Pretty Wait, easy. is Labyrinth a David Bowie movie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. How yes, dare we not mention An American Tale? Oh, <gasps> Fievel? Was that in the yes. top 10? Oh. Wow. 86 was a great oh, year for me. Nice. <laughs> wow. We might have to put a poll up to see what the greatest year for movie releases was, because 86 has got to be up there. Mm. It's a very, like interesting year in movies as far as like genres are concerned or just like the the style of movies that were coming out at that time we don't have to go into that keep going sorry i kind of feel like back in the 80s and 90s it was more of a just shoot your shot type of deal where now Mm -hmm. it just feels like it's franchise or regurgitated storylines over and over if you don't make 100 million in the first weekend you busted so right your movie sucks yeah the stakes are higher Last week and this week's movie have a lot in common in the fact that the writer of each of these movies goes down in history as one of the top screenwriters ever. 
Last week, we talked about Nancy Myers. This week, we're going to talk a little bit more about John Hughes. John Hughes should hold a special place in every millennial's heart because I feel like, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but every millennial can pick out at least one John Hughes movie that means the absolute most to them. So, same question as last week, this week. Is this, top to bottom, John Hughes's best movie that he's ever written? Not necessarily directed, but written. All right, you're going to have to give us some differentiation then. You got Mr. Mom, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, all the vacation movies, uh, Vacation, European Vacation, Christmas Vacation, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Home Alone, Uncle Buck, Curly Sue, Dutch, and The Great Outdoors. Those are just majority of them. Not all of them, but majority of the ones he's written. Prolific. That's in the 80s. Gotta be The Breakfast Club. Yep. And then for me afterwards, 16 Candles, I think. But I'm, you know, I'm not a teenage girl or anything, but it's 16 <laughs> Candles after that. I was going to go with Christmas. Just like maybe not his best writing, but in terms of like you you talk about like a movie that affected you personally. Like I think for me, that's that movie. Our buddy Jason has a Christmas party every year, and that's the movie that he plays 24-7 on loop like during those things. It's just it's it's in my past. It's in my present. So that why, that's why I picked that one. I'm with Brandon. Breakfast Club? I don't know if that's his best writing, but that's my favorite of his writing. Well, top to bottom, I think the best thing he's ever written is Ferris Bueller. I think it's actually better than The Breakfast Club. Hot take. Yeah, that's hot. But I do have Christmas Vacation in the top three. I think that's third. And then two is what, Breakfast Club? Yeah, Breakfast Club is two. So it's one, two, three. What makes Breakfast Club so much better than, than Ferris Bueller? From a writing standpoint, or not necessarily from a writing standpoint, like let's not get technical, but just from an enjoyability as a viewer, as someone who watches John Hughes movies, like why does Breakfast Club stick out more so than Ferris? Breakfast Club's kind of a downer the, in many ways. Yeah, that's yeah, why it's but good. it's 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 yeah. I mean, I think that's why it's it's deeper. Yes, yep. I don't know. It feels it feels more real. I mean, mm-hmm. not that Ferris Bueller couldn't happen, doesn't happen, but. Breakfast Club just it, there's there's something about the characters they're more and, relatable and, and yeah they're more relatable and I think you get more time to explore the characters uh, and their their layers versus Ferris Bueller I mean Ferris is pretty straightforward yep. for the most part um, the only character that has depth in this movie is Cameron with Breakfast Club all of the action is in the dialogue yep and Ferris Bueller all of the action is in the action you know what I'm saying? Like the story yeah. develops like scene to scene in different location after different location after different location. Yeah. Whereas Breakfast Club, everything that's going down is going down via conversation. Like Ferris Bueller is like six six sitcoms. Yes. Episodes at once. Whereas yes. Breakfast Club is more of a like an analyzation of like kids and what they really go through. God, th- I'm going to get crucified from you guys. I, I sometimes feel like the Breakfast Club is like an after school special movie sure. like it, it comes across very after school especially but a very well done version of an after school special no i mean it makes sense there's like six or whatever like tropes of high school teenagers that are being represented and they go through and learn and then they all grow right like it's vi- like i can see it being interpreted that way because that's how like after school specials are right like the problem's presented and then there's a solution and for the most part all the problems at the end whether they're like actually resolved at least the kids feel better about their situation right right whereas i think ferris bueller what makes it fun and unique is it's kind of a crazy story 
I think you guys view this movie one way and I view it in a completely different way than what you guys look at. Please expand. I want to get into it a little bit further on. And I think maybe the summary I wrote for this movie will kind of give it away. So I'd, I want to come back to that. Amanda, you voted to do this movie. Why do you love this movie, though? Well, A, I like John Hughes movies, right? But also, I'm a, as I've said many times in season one and season two, I'm a big fan of coming-of-age movies. And this is the later part of coming-of-age where they're trying to figure out what they're what to do with their lives after high school. And you don't see a lot of those scenes, but those are clearly the most impactful scenes that you have in this movie. Wondering what you're going to do when you have to separate from your friends mm-hmm. and grow up and be an adult. Brandon, why do you love this movie? Like Amanda said, it's 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 one of those great coming of age movies. But I also I, I think that the characters I I think it's a really fun movie. Um, I yeah. got to watch it for the first not for the first time. Uh, well, for the first time in a long time, and I got to uh, watch it with Lindsay uh, a couple of days ago, and it's referenced in a lot of uh, in a lot of other media. Um, some of the scenes and Ferris is while he's pretty, he feels like he's a pretty straightforward character. He's he feels very relatable um, in in this movie. I think one of the things that makes Ferris so relatable and why we all enjoy Cameron is because I think that they got the casting spot on, on this. I think if you look at Matthew Broderick and you look at Alan Ruck, to me, they just fit. They look like, you know, they're both, one of them was 20, or Matthew Broderick was 22 when they did this movie, and Alan Ruck was 29. Mm-hmm. Ooh, they don't look old. No. They look 80s, they look 80s high schoolish, yeah. which is, yeah. I think they casted that perfectly. They were also friends prior oh, to Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they did a couple oh, things prior cool. to this, some right? Broad, some Broadway work together or something mm. like that. Mia Sarah was 18, I think, when she got the role so i think they were, i think maybe she was 19 when they filmed this they're all relatively young looking they feel like they're high school kids i think that's one of the things that really really helps Dow, would you consider this matthew broderick's like breakout role or would you consider war games if you're talking about being a star i think you say war games if you're talking about being a superstar then i think it's this movie Obviously, in War Games, he had a leading role, but he had like a leading role. Like he had a lot to carry in this movie, and he did, right? There's something about being able to act to charisma, mm-hmm. right? And he did that flawlessly in this. You believed he was the kid that never got in trouble because all he had to do was just flash his grin. Right. And everyone's like, oh, he's so sweet. Like, what? you know what I mean? And, and I think that's not the easiest thing to do, and he did it very well. Is that one of the reasons why you love this movie? Is just the relatability to, to Ferris, like being able to, because you're kind of that person too. And See, I think you know a lot what's of people- funny is I don't, I don't consider myself Ferris at all. I consider myself Cameron and I consider my best friend Henry as Ferris. I almost have like a love-hate relationship with this movie because the things that happen like, like infuriate me at times. You're just like, mm-hmm. how, like I'm almost like Jennifer Grey where I'm like, how can you get away with all this stuff? But he is charismatic. And at the end, you're kind of like, you feel, we'll get to it more at the end, but like at the end, you're just like, I kind of hope he doesn't get in trouble. Like, you know what I right. mean? Even though like the whole movie, you're like, I hope he gets in trouble. Like, <laughs> One of the shows that I think all of us here grew up watching was Say by the Bell. Mm. And Zach Morris was the 90s version of Ferris Bueller. Everybody loved him. Everybody thought he was cool. He could, he had the pretty girl as his girlfriend. He had the nerdy geeky guy as his best friend. Growing up, I looked and I was like, I want to be Zach Morris. Like that's, he was the coolest guy in the world. Everyone just thought he was just so charismatic. 
And in watching this, you look at Ferris and you're like, God, he's just so cool. He's almost too good to be true as a person. Almost seems unreal. Speaking of Zach Morris, have you seen the college humor series, Zach Morris is Trash? <gasps> yes. Uh, I have not. It could be. It's very relatable to this. <laughs> very relatable. Has he been canceled? No. No. Okay. no this like, the oh, character. God, no. Like, if no. you really look at his action. Exactly. Like, in if you, the show. In a vacuum, if you're like, okay, this is what your friend did to you, you'd be like, that dude's a fucking dick. <laughs> yeah, but same could be said for Ferris. Eggs. We'll get to that. That's we'll one of the that. questions that's posed in the. And I was like, you know what? He is. Yeah. And being a teacher, I see it even more. Like, yeah. <laughs> fuck that kid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's we'll get, get into it. Let, let's. Okay, go ahead. Let's just toss this. Let's do it. We do an outline. I'm going to toss sure. this outline. I just want to talk about this movie. Sure. This movie didn't have any Oscar noms. It didn't have anything. Oh, you know. That's tragic. I will say that if you if you did have to nominate anyone for like a major award, obviously it would have been Alan Ruck, right? Mm-hmm. Or writing. I can't believe it didn't get nominated for writing. I didn't look at the writing nominations. I did look at, I looked at like best supporting actor. That was a pretty like. Stacked. Yeah, it was stacked. Yeah, it's fine. That was Platoon. So you had like Berenger and Defoe and Michael Caine won for some, Michael Caine. Sir Michael Caine. The 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 Lamborghini. (laughs) That Michael Caine. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about secondary casting real quick. Jennifer Grey. This is before Dirty Dancing. Oh, this is before, because I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that. She's grown on me. I didn't like Jeannie. Thought she was kind of a shit. It was like the mean ass older sister. And whoa, 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 that's another oh, question. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Go ahead. What? Who's older and who's younger? That's a good question. Jeannie has to be older. She has the Yeah, car. I think no. it's her. Ferris, Ferris Bueller is obviously a senior. Uh, She's just the more responsible sibling. So what I've read is it has to be that they are fraternal twins. I was about to say, then they must be twins. So I read because I was like, wait, he's a senior, but she has to be older. She's driving a car. How is this possible? And like they literally go through like 10 bullet points of other things that I didn't even think about. And they're like, the conclusion is they are fraternal twins. They have to be. That makes so much sense. And what's crazy, it's not even mentioned once in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Which normally something like that is definitely mentioned somehow. One thing that they were like, well, maybe she failed, right? But no, she's like an honor student, so that's not possible. The only pushback yeah. I'll give on the fraternal t- the fraternal twin theory is, wouldn't you make twins share something like a car? Because if you notice, Ferris goes, she got a car, I got a computer. Yeah. I would just assumed. <sighs> is that gender bias? So she, they thought that Ferris would be more successful, so they gave him a computer? Maybe Ooh. she's nine months older. That's not how fraternal twins work. I know, but what okay. I'm saying is you can still be in the same grade if you're only nine months apart. Ooh, that's true, too. Ooh, what if he's a July baby? Ooh, okay. That's bad. Yeah, what if back. he's a July? What if he's like an August baby and she's a September baby? And as soon as they were done making her, parents were like, we're not getting any younger. Let's knock some boots. Oops. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Oh, you got to write into that article I was reading. That might, that might, that might, you might blow all their minds. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I prefer the twin theory better, but normally something like that is mentioned, right? And then the, the whole car versus computer thing. She's definitely the older sibling here. So is yeah, it by four to. minutes or is it by nine months? We don't yeah. know. Oh, that's a good, ooh, good point. But she's also an honor student. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why she got the car first. Exactly. That, that's what they brought up is maybe she's just a better student. So her parents rewarded her with a car. That sounds very Asian to me. Yeah. <laughs> I would never give my C student a car. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> I'm going to give you this dictionary. Yeah, exactly. You can look up the definition of car and proud because I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to get you your ass a new graphing calculator is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I would say Ferris is a favorite. Did you see the synthesizer he had? Did you see oh, the keyboard, computer? That's worth way more than yep. her car was worth back in 1986. Sure. He had like video cassette recorders. Like what the heck? One other actor that kind of grabbed your eye. Amanda was like, wait, Charlie Sheen's in this? Yeah. <laughs> is he in it? <laughs> Boy, is he in it. Drugs? I feel like he just plays himself, right? Like he's just like. Yeah, for sure. Hey, you want to like make out? The way he looks is because according to him, to get into character, he wanted to stay up for 48 hours straight in order to look like a guy who is in, you know, custody for drugs. I guess if anyone's ever really paid attention to Charlie Sheen's stories of the 80s, he's just like, oh, okay, so just come on in. All right. Yeah. If you say so. Let's just get to the movie. I'm going to do the uh, summary and then we'll go from there. Okay. It's a surprise for us all. I know. Let's hear it. Cameron Fry is a neurotic high school senior with a mentally abusive father and an absent-minded mother. As he decides to take a mental health day, he motivates himself to get out of bed and have the best day of his life with the help of his alter ego and personality. <laughs> his name is Ferris Bueller. With Ferris's help, he drives his father's baby, fakes a death, breaks his high school crush out of school, Goes to the Sears Tower, visits the Stock Exchange, a bougie-ass lunch, catches a foul ball, and does what every high school kid daydreams of, leading a random parade and karaoke to not one, but two songs. The movie concludes when Cameron realizes how much he has grown in just one day, and he owes it all to one man. His name is Ferris Bueller. So with that summary, you kind of understand where I'm going with this, right? No, I can't. I didn't get it. Can you repeat that? Yes, I understood. (laughs) What an interesting remake we'll get in 10 or 20 years where they just tell it from Cameron's perspective. So Cameron would get all of the interviews and the straight face camera. Yeah, that would would be you know, that that would be a great way to remake that movie. The narration, I think, would be the most interesting in that. Right. Like if Cameron narrated this movie, I think that would be extremely interesting. Son of a bitch, I'm in. No, but you know what's hilarious? So we were watching, me and Amy were watching this movie. She wasn't watching it fully. And they get to the the end scene, the Ferrari scene. And I'm like, he gets that. He has his revelation. I'm like, is this movie about Cameron? <laughs> like, have I had this wrong the entire time? Like, is this movie about him and not Ferris? See, that goes back to what we talked about last week. A movie aging with you. This yeah. movie ages with us because when we were younger, we look at Ferris, like someone like me. And Amanda Definitely. said it a little bit earlier. You look at Ferris and you're like, oh, that's he's so cool, so charismatic, so suave. And as you get older, you're like, he's kind of a shithead. But you don't see that when you're 10, 12 years old. I just want to clarify. I did not say he was so cool. <laughs> What'd you say, stuff today. What'd you say? I like verbatim said, you know, when I was younger, I thought Cameron was annoying. Oh, but now... Right. But now I, I, he's my favorite. He's relatable, and me. I am him, and he is me. Yeah. No, but this movie is about Cameron. 
it always has been, but as we've gotten older, we've realized that it is about him. There's a theory out there. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it. Uh, you've heard it. We've all yeah. heard it. And I, I really do believe as I've gotten older and you kind of dissect this movie and you analyze it much more, there's a good possibility that Ferris is just Cameron's alter ego. It's just a guy daydreaming about what he would do in the situation. Ferris is what you wished you could be in high school. Man, you're sick. Everyone sends you flowers. Everyone cares. Like there's just... It would definitely be the perspective of someone in Cameron's spot of what he thinks he would want. Right. He's got shitty parents. You know who's got great parents? Yeah. Who loves them and is supportive. Like there's, he's sick and he's like, hang in there, bud. <laughs> like <laughs> that's all Cameron would want is for his dad to be supportive of. Like he's like, just take a nap, make some soup. Like that's all he would want from his dad. The hot girlfriend. Mm. I don't know if I love this theory though. Oh I can my hear God. it. All right, so let's get to some of our favorite scenes <laughs> throughout the movie. Like it's the always, only part of my face you can see. Did you see the eye roll? <laughs> yes. Uh, let's he do beginning, middle, end like we always do. So everyone kind of pick one of their favorite scenes from the beginning, middle, and the end. So, Dad, what you got for the beginning of the movie? Um, so I picked the principal call, the first one, when uh, he calls the mom. Why? Why that call? Again, as a school official, it hit <laughs> it hit hard. Because there are times where you're just like, this kid is fucking lying. <laughs> and I can't prove it, but I know he is. The teacher inside you. Him. Yeah, like <laughs> and I the mom's him. just like, and, and the mom's just like, my son would never. And I'm like, you don't know your shitty son like I do. <laughs> He's a liar. <laughs> and I wrote that before I got to the second call. But after the second call, I agree it's funnier. But that first call hit me so hard. I I would I was like, that's the call that I want to talk about because nobody's going to talk about that call, and that's the most important call for your kid's education. <laughs> Brian, you would really hate me as a parent of one of your students. Oh, I don't doubt it. <laughs> you would love me. Have you ever met my daughter? I meet your daughter every day. <laughs> Not just I, I just give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm like. Mm. And I say I sound so like aloof when teachers talk to me. Oh my god! I'm like, mm, okay, I'll check with her. Like, and I'm, in my head, I'm like, you're not checking shit. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check that shit. And you just said that you were gonna do it, but you're not. And then I tell Ryan, and then Ryan does it. That sounds True. right. Like, can you can you handle this? Brandon, did you have one from the beginning of the movie that just sticks out to you? It's your favorite. I I think just the whole, and it's a theme throughout the whole movie, but like how much work this all is mm. for for him. Like, I definitely am not that motivated. <laughs> I would have just gone to school. Like if, if you presented me with all of these things that Ferris has to do to maintain this, I'm like, nah, I'll just, I'll just tough it out in school. That's, that's too much work. Not, not for me. He's in there like, changing his fucking days missed and he's yeah he's in there he's got the fucking doorbell program to have a whole fucking conversation like damn dude come on and he's Just- literally thought of everything he has the answering machine not only for sloan's house but sure. then has the, the mortuary funeral, the funeral home we're back as humanly possible <laughs> amanda what's the question beginning scene oh you had the same as down my bad yeah. Oh, okay. But you, I think your principal call was the second one or the first one. I just liked all of them. 
No, that's true. They were both really It didn't funny. matter which one Dal was referring to. I was going to agree. That was really funny. I enjoy when the main character breaks the fourth wall. I, I, I like that. I like narration in movies. I like breaking the fourth wall. I like that we're in on the joke with everybody mm. along the way because it makes me feel included. And so the, the opening for me is when when Ferris does the they bought it. And then all of a sudden it just you hit the ground running. You're going. Life moves pretty fast. Everything. That entire opening little monologue sequence with him where he takes us through kind of like what we're going to do today in a way. That to me is just so much fun. It's the best. One of my favorite scenes in the entire movie, actually. I honestly thought when you said principal call, I thought you were talking. This is why I didn't put this other one. I want to talk about as our honorable mention. The conversation between air quote Sloan's dad and, and Edward Rooney. That's the first time this movie felt like Ocean's Eleven. Really? <laughs> because you were 100% convinced when you heard the first voice that that was Ferris. Right. And then as soon as Ferris calls, you're like, wait, who was that? And you're like, whoa, that yeah. wasn't Ferris at all. That's awesome. Got me. Yeah. I'm sure the first time I saw this, I didn't see that coming either. No, I didn't see it coming this time. And I, I've seen the movie before. I just didn't remember that. Well, I should say you do. <laughs> Call me sir, god damn it. <laughs> That's my favorite line. We'll get to that later. Uh, middle of the movie. Amanda, you start us off. What's your favorite scene in the middle of the movie? Does the, does the parade scene count as a middle scene? I think so. I think so. I think I it's the end of the second act. Yeah. I love that scene. And not just like the musical parts or anything like that. I like the conversation that Sloane and Cameron have while... Ferris is on the parade float by himself where they kind of get a moment alone. Mm. Alone? They've been alone together all day. Oh my God. Stop. Just, just. It kind of gives you the whole purpose behind the movie, that one conversation there. I mean, the other conversations similar to it happen later on, but that's the first moment where you're like, oh, they're taking advantage of the day because it might be their last one, mm. last time to do that. Mm-hmm. I forget from time to time watching this movie is that very real conversation of we'll both work during the summer. I'll, I'll see him at nights. We'll see each other on weekends and then he'll go to one school. I'll go. No, that's, that's very real for everybody. Absolutely. Do you have one Brandon in the middle of the movie? That's your favorite. The, uh, art Institute one is just a really, it's a really just good scene. It's shot. Well, uh, the music goes perfectly with it. That's, that's, I, I think that's one of my favorite scenes period in this whole movie. And, Nobody's saying anything. Well, I had a question about that. So there's a moment with Cameron where he's looking at the pointillism painting and it keeps zooming. Yes. And I just don't. I don't get it. I know there's something significant and I know John Hughes was going for something very specific. I'm not 100% sure that I know what that is, but it feels very, very significant, even though I don't necessarily understand what the significance is. Yes. I always interpreted it as he felt like he was the little girl in the painting screaming with people all around and no one could hear. Is that what that painting is? There's a girl screaming? It's a little it's a little girl with her yeah. her mouth Mom. wide open and there's people around. So I always just interpreted it as no one's paying attention to me. Oh. And so Cameron realizes no one I mean not realizes but really sees a similarity in the painting between his life and what's going on in the painting. So that's why they keep zooming closer and closer. And that's why they fill in or they zoom in on the mouth 
is because no matter how loud you are or how you just feel as though that no one's listening. That's interesting. That, Everybody that's listening to this, uh, double check Ryan because I don't believe him. But <laughs> I, I'm just, that's the way I interpreted it. Fact check, fact check. I always thought that that scene was completely out of place. It doesn't feel like it goes with the rest of the movie. So right, what sells it is the music. Unless you take it from the point of view that the movie's about Cameron. Exactly. And then it fits perfectly. Took the word right out of my mouth. Okay. John Hughes, you might have remembered that he's actually answered this question uh, before all of us um none of us did our research yeah yeah, actual (laughs) information except except from brandon nice (laughs) lay it on us please um basically he he says i mean in a nutshell he says uh he's looking at that little girl which is again uh as a mother and a child the closer he looks at the child the less he sees of course uh with this style of painting but the more he looks at it there's nothing there he fears that the more you look at him, the less you see there isn't anything there. And that's Cameron. Oh. I was like, I don't think her mouth is open. It's literally pointless, <laughs> but okay. That makes, make, makes way more sense. Yeah, I would have never guessed that. It went oh. way over my head. But it makes perfect sense. It does. Pointillism, it does right? Because pointillism, the more you look at it, the less the blurrier it gets, the less of a picture it actually is and the more dots it is, right? That also, is really interesting. It's a oh it's God. a picture of a of a child with its mother, mm-hmm. and Cameron doesn't have a mother. He does. She's just he not does. involved. She's not around. Yeah, she's well, indicator. She's not around. So yeah. in his life, he does not have a mother. Sure. As a child, I thought indicator meant like she was like in prison or something. Not she was in the city of Decatur. That's because you grew up in the valley. <laughs> North of the valley. Thank you. Okay. Dow was your favorite in the middle. Uh, I picked the Abe Froman scene. I just thought it was, uh, I just like to me. So I asked a question on one of the deep dive questions and this is where I came up with this. I was like, is Phelan just like a sociopath? Like sociopaths have ways of just saying things that like back up their story, even though it's like completely false and stuff. And I'm just like, he is so quick. He's like, yeah, I'm Abe Froman. What'd you say? Sausage King of Chicago. Yep. That's me. Like <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> yeah. Like the sausage King of Chicago. Yeah. And and he's like, I'll yell rat. And I'm like, is that a thing? Like, if you yell rat, like, everybody's like, oh, is that the same thing as like... That's a very <laughs> 80s term, I think. Yeah, like, what the hell's like Yelling fire? But yeah, I picked, I picked the Abe Froman scene. I really like that one. Dude, there's a lot I learned about the 80s in this movie. <laughs> payphones in schools? What was that? Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing payphones in schools in other movies. That stuck it's out like to me this time factory. around. <laughs> germ factory. They weren't worried about that in the they 80s, dude. They wanted their civil liberties. That's what Antonio would have said if he was here tonight. They didn't believe in seatbelts. Same arguments. The valet scene, when they drop off the car, I love that scene. You speak English? That. <laughs> what country do you think this is? <laughs> just like, how do you get off on the wrongest of foots? Like, just like, hey, what's the, what's the most wrong foot I can get off on? Yeah, that's the one I'm going to take right there. Like, you see what a fisky can do to a guy's attitude? <laughs> like that dude probably works really hard at his job. And this little punk ass kid. Is like, I also want to point out like his sister also asked that question in oh, a later speak scene. speak any English? Yeah. Yes. Wait, when she's talking to the when she's talking to the 911 operator. Oh. And it's it's a reflection of like how disconnected they are from like 
middle class people. Not, not I wouldn't say middle no. class because they're middle class too. They're upper no, they're middle not. class. No, they're not. They are upper class. And so we talked about this, me and Amy. They ate. So Cameron's family is obviously loaded. Right. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Not even close. Ferris's dad is eating lunch at the same restaurant that Abe Froman, the sausage, the sausage king of king of Chicago, is eating at. You don't, and his mom also works and is going to try to close fucking Vermont, like <laughs> the whole like, fucking state. Yeah, they are on another level. <laughs> and that commission, that commission was going to pay for his car, exactly, which was probably twelve hundred dollars, according to Father of the Bride. <laughs> I would love for a commission to pay for a car. I just want to say. Yes. So they are obviously upper, like maybe like lower upper class, but that's as far as I would give them. In in Chicago, they have money. Yeah. Right. And if you live in the neighborhood you live in, sure, and are doing the things you're doing in Chicago, mm-hmm. the the two different houses is one of the reasons why I think the Cameron theory kind of works as well. Because okay. if you look at Cameron's house stylistically, what that house looks like. Mm-hmm. They're it's dope. Exactly. But do you remember the, the one to two days we spent in Chicago ever seeing a house like that in the city? It's not in the city. Right. Yeah, it's it's in out the in the suburbs. But notice how the two, right, it's out in the woods. Whereas Ferris lives in the suburbs. All those He's in homes, the Leave It to Beaver house. But it's almost like <laughs> daydream that you wish you that you wish you sure. lived in a little neighborhood like that. He lives in like an art deco house. It's reminiscent of like the neighbors in Christmas vacation. Elaine Bennis's house, yeah. like everything's like you can't sit in anything. It's just all, all right, right. Go ahead. I don't know where we're at. Towards the third act, end of the movie. Dad, what's your favorite? So I had the pool slash car scene. I thought those were related. So Cameron's like almost cathartic realization in the pool. I felt like him jumping in the pool was almost him taking control of his life. As as weird as that sounds, and then him transitioning into. Well, now that I have control of my life, I'm going to really do something and then just messing up the car. That was my, one of my favorite scenes. Amanda? Ryan, I know you put running home in here, but I like the scene where Jeannie answers the door. <gasps> because it because when you're when you're watching that scene or right before that scene, you think, oh, she didn't learn anything from that conversation with the drug addict in the police station. Because <laughs> she's chasing after him. Right. Yes. But then she gets there and it you're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's really nice. Her older sister, his older sister took care of him. By either his- nine minutes or nine months, we're not sure. We're not sure. Brandon, what about you? I guess the my my favorite scene towards the end, I get um probably the police the police station scene with uh oh, yeah. Jennifer that's Gray. A good one. I, Jennifer Gray, prior to the nose job, just there's something about her that uh, just it, it always it's it's I've, I've always been attracted to uh, Jennifer. I don't know what it is, but she's she's gorgeous and she's got that like she she's got those faces that she makes. RBF and, RBF uh, before it was a thing. Yes, <laughs> uh, and she's got so much attitude. Yes, um, she, it, it's just I, I don't know it. You know I can't explain it. That's a girl that will take care of you. Yeah. Of the oh, two yeah. Po- of of the two police scenes though, is it the angry Jennifer Grey scene where she's talking mad shit to Charlie Sheen or is it the one where like she's trying to compose herself as she walks away? Definitely and she's a when total she's embarrassment. Shit to Charlie Sheen, <laughs> definitely. Shit talking is the best. 
Yeah. I think she looks so cute when she's walking away from Charlie Sheen. When she's like, she's my name so is awkward. Jeannie, cute. Every, everybody calls me Shauna. Like, <laughs> what? Okay, Jeannie. <laughs> but when, when she's stepping away and she trips and she does that laugh, I don't know if that was improvised or not, but I believe whoever the producers were for Dirty Dancing, they were like, that girl, that's the face we need. That's what we want baby to be. Yep. One of the other things I liked about Running Home, I... <laughs> Once again, as a kid, I just thought this was super cool is when he's running and the girls are out there sunbathing and he stops, comes back and introduces himself. He's like, Ferris Bueller. It's so cool. Like, you're such a boy, (laughs) like not even a grown ass man. You are such a teenage boy. I'm looking at this through the lens (laughs) as when I used to watch this movie. This movie was a staple. It was on on cable all the time. Whether it was on TBS, TNT, HBO. You're a cable baby. I was. I really was. Lucky you. We read books. Yeah. (laughs) That should be the the name of a podcast, Cable Babies. And it was just all the shit you used to watch. Yeah. It's not a bad. All right. Let's get into the deeper plot discussions. Okay. Dow's first question, because he had this this question for everybody. Did this movie define the decade? That's your question. I didn't write that. I didn't write that either. Who wrote that? It wasn't me. I opened that. Brandon, that was you know definitely. What? I did write that. That was definitely Ryan. Okay, That's I'll a Ryan. Get out of here. That is a Ryan question. <laughs> if we ever fucking heard one, what are you fucking talking about? Okay, that initially look, was going to be my don't question. Live with the man. I thought Antonio, the ghost of Antonio, again <laughs> went on the outline and added something. <laughs> that was def- no. That is Ryan's question. Yeah. Some overwhelming, like oversweeping question that that was yeah, going to be you, the question of the you, week. But instead, I went with the correlation between nancy myers and john hughes and their writing sure, ability being ahead. you know it's like so tell expensive. me the best horror movie of all time ever go well i think that <laughs> i think that ferris bueller was the last great 80s teen movie 86 the last great of, of, or of the just 80s? the greatest i think that breakfast club is the greatest 80s teen movie because it's it there's something for everybody in that movie. Whereas this one is the most fun, like Brandon said earlier. There, this is just a fun story all in one day that this could be the greatest day of your life. Whereas I think you learn the most about who you are and who you can become in The Breakfast Club. I would say cinematically and like story-wise, sure, Breakfast Club. In terms of pop culture, it's tough to find a movie this old that's, like Brandon said, that is still being as referenced in today's culture, like even the like <laughs> yeah, that's still like a thing, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, there's just so many things from this, like Bueller, right? There's so, so don't know many what that pop from. culture references, right? But they know that term, right? So in terms of pop culture, yeah. in our in our household, there's something that Amanda and I do together that is referenced from this movie that what you do y'all forget. do together. I always <laughs> Amanda's face just look at her. I know that's what, that's I always I said look at I said. her and I say, "Do you have a kiss for Daddy?" <laughs> <laughs> that is so, as the kids say, cringe. <laughs> <laughs> the kids say it, and it's so. That's cringe. how we do it in my family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad somebody cut that line too. Yeah. Brandon, do you think this movie defined the decade? For me, it can't define the decade when you have uh, the Breakfast Club in the same. Uh, there, I mean, it's, it's like a one A one B, right? John John Hughes definitely 
defines the decade for um, teen coming of age movies. So it's, I guess it's hard to say that this one though define is the definitive decade definer of his movies when you have to compete with the breakfast club. I would agree with Brandon. Like, I would say John Hughes defines the decade. And I think one yeah. of the things that he defined was the idea of the shift being from adults to kids. Before a lot, like in the 60s and the 70s and stuff, a lot of movies about romance, about fun were about adults, right? Like, and then it's slowly shifted to like kids in high school. And now it's got no place with like Disney Channel where it's like, okay, like 10 year olds are having like <laughs> whatever. But it was a shift that definitely happened. I thought to ask that question, which was name a director that defined the 80s more so than John Hughes. Or a decade. Or a decade than John Hughes. The director that came to mind that I think would rival John Hughes' run in the 80s would probably be Spielberg. And what's so funny about what you just said, Dow, was John Hughes is the, is the man when it comes to coming of age. Mm-hmm. realizing going from childhood to adulthood. And the opposite of that, in a certain way, is Spielberg in his way to make you as an adult try to remember or try to find that wonder as when you were a kid. Like, mm. E.T. to me is still... E.T. is one of the movies that will just always live in my heart. And there's sure. something about E.T. as you get older, you remember... And maybe it's just... I mean, and that came out before we were both born, so... I mean, we're not that fucking old. Was it? What year? 82? Yeah, definitely dead. We we weren't even... (laughs) Not alive. Yeah. But as I watch that movie, E.T. now, you look back at it and you're like, God, remember what it was like to... You know, that sense of having an alien for a best friend. It's just... I just find it very cool that both those directors to me that are so impactful of the 80s do the same thing, but just in the opposite direction. Yeah, that is interesting. Like Indiana Jones even. Like, he's obviously older... But it encapsulates a youthful, right? Like he's often having adventures, right? Yeah. And as like a thirty-year-old, a forty-year-old in the eighties, you're like, that's fun. I want to do that. Like, Dow, you have here. Rooney is the good guy. Ferris is the villain, and uses Cameron for a ride. Go. So that's I like the the more I watch this, the more I was like, because he's sitting at home bored, and he just keeps calling Cameron to be like. Are you coming? Are you coming? And I feel like he feels like he's helping Cameron, but at the end, he just really just needs a ride. I don't know. If he I'm needs over- a car to pick up Sloan. Yeah. Like, he just, it might be an oversimplification. And like, all Rooney's trying to do is make sure that a kid that missed 10 days of school gets an education. And should that mean that he needs to repeat the grade? So be it. <laughs> Like you cannot go. You, is coming out. you cannot go to college with an incomplete education. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Voodoo economics, get out of here. You need that. I don't think you could miss a day of that class and know what the fuck's going on at that age. <laughs> let me let, let me let me ask you this, Amanda. If your principal called your parents and said that you were skipping school, would their first instinct be to like defend never, me? No, never. They'd be like. I'm gonna go find her ass right now. You want you want you want to be part of the 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 fucking mob that goes finds her ass right now because yeah. I'm out there. <laughs> Do you want to also add a lashing to this? <laughs> I feel that Brandon and I are discluded in this conversation amongst you Asians as a Maybe. minority. Brandon and myself, if our school principal called 
our parents and told us we were skipping, what would your parents say? I I think that they probably would have done the the same thing uh, that that Ferris parents did. Honestly, oh, like, you're so they would have given so me the, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that's so sweet. I do think that they would have given me the benefit of the doubt. No, um, my parents would have been like, "You're never seeing the light of fucking day unless yeah. it's to go to school." No, you'll see the day, but you'll be messed the fuck up when you see it. Like, yeah. right? I mean, because <laughs> your eyes will you know, hurt. Yeah. They <laughs> they looked at him. They both came in the room and checked on him and greenlit him staying home for the day. Mm-hmm. It's true. So mm-hmm. it's as much on them as it is on Ferris. Way more on them. Because again, well, yeah, absolutely. You yeah. got to do your due diligence with these kids because these kids, I mean, I've been there. I have faked being sick, so I didn't have to go to school. 100%. Oh, all of us. I, so. used to, I, used, I used to take a light bulb and put that shit on my forehead. Mom, if you're listening. <laughs> That is smart. Oh yeah, my god! I wouldn't even have worked in my house. My my family was like, unless you are literally coming out of both ends <laughs> and cannot walk, you are going to school. Mm, and now I'm the complete opposite. Yeah, it goes the like, other way, right? Because now you, you- I'm like, oh, she needs a mental health day. <laughs> I used to just take the thermometer before I would show it to them and just like kind of stick it close to the light bulb. See, my mom, my mom, my mom, yeah, you know, we didn't have thermometers. (laughs) That or one time, and I feel bad about this one. I and it was gross. I went and drank some milk and some orange juice and kept it in my mouth, and then went to the bathroom and made like a (gasps) show of spitting, spitting it out. But I was throwing up, and I was like, "Oh no, I'm too sick to go to school today. Look what I've done." That must have been absent number eight. Like you, you're like, I can't go back to the well on this one. I got to come up with something new. Something new. <laughs> oh no. I like this question. You mentioned it earlier, Dow, but we'll ask it just straight up. Is Ferris a sociopath? A hundred percent. Yes. And possibly a narcissist too. Definitely a narcissist. I think, without a doubt, a narcissist. I'm no psychologist, though. Ferris is able to manipulate everybody, and it's quite evident. Remember when he kicks Cameron in the kitchen? Yes. And then he makes it seem like, and then he like calms Cameron down. He's like, "Well, I love you, buddy." And Cameron's like, "Yeah, I love you too." Like I, to me, that was like, "Sorry, that's such an abusive relationship." Yeah. Like, oh my it's god, it's your fault. I kicked you. Yeah, like you did that, and he's like, "I did do that." Didn't but I, I still love you. Yeah, and you're like, oh, even you though you made me. me kick you. Yeah, you do love me. Thanks. That's all like, going Whoa. on inside of his head, though. Stop. <laughs> I honestly Stop just it. think for Ferris, it, it's it's a challenge. I think he really enjoys the challenge that no one's going to beat him or top him, and that's why I think one of the other favorite lines. Not to not going to jump ahead because this isn't. I didn't write this one down, but when Sloane's like, "Hey, you've gone too far. We're going to get busted," and, and he goes, "A, you've never, you can never go too far, and B, if I'm going to get busted, it's not going to be by a guy like that." In other words, you're going to have to be really fucking smart to outdo me so sounds like a classic narcissist mm-hmm. or a sociopath both absolutely okay ryan and and you are defending him what does that say about you ryan's definitely a narcissist yes he is he definitely is a narcissist listen i'm, sorry, I, bud. I'm you know not to derail this whole thing <laughs> yeah. if, we're gonna, if we're gonna get into a, a come to jesus moment um, you're defending him because you're defending yourself. Mm. I'm not defending him. I'm just Let me get your sister on the phone. <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> I'm not I'm not defending him, but I You are you are giving us the other side of the coin 
because it is you. As a cable baby who grew up on movies like this and movie and TV shows like Zach or Say by the Bell, that was what you did. You figured out a way to get out of shit when you got yourself into trouble. So you had to be quick on your feet. Down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I like this one. Does Cameron have fun? That's I, I was really because like because at one point Ferris is like, well, at least you're having fun. And in my mind, I'm like, is he though? Yeah. Like he's literally just sitting there like worried as shit about the car, about everything. I think maybe towards the end. But even then, like like Amanda brought up, like when he's sitting in the car talking to Sloan, I don't know that that's a fun conversation or a fun thing to think of, about. You know what I mean? But Ferris thinks he's having fun. And again, I take it back to my best friend, Henry. Like Henry would put me in situations that he thought was just me having a ball. And I'm like, this is terrible. I am literally sitting here thinking that we're both going to go to jail and you're having the time of your goddamn life. Great. You're having fun. I'm not. And I would. And the difference between me and cameras, I would let him know. I'm like, this is not fun. You are ruining my day. I want you to feel bad about this forever. <laughs> I will not let you get away with this shit. <laughs> like, and then we would just be, both be sad. <laughs> Amanda, what do you think? I don't think he is. No. I think the only time he has fun is when he fakes killing himself in the pool. And he makes Ferris for a second think about the decisions that he's made that have led them to this point. I'm usually the mom of a group or the mm, non-drinker or the responsible. I know you're not the non-drinker. Yeah, I'm not the non-drinker. <laughs> I'm usually I'm the responsible right one in a group. I have like a conscience and I care about how I'm getting home and mm-hmm. care about other people around me and how annoying we are or not or whatever. Yes. Our joy takes away from their joy. <laughs> that is unacceptable. Yep. Brandon, do you think Cameron had fun? I think in his own way he did. Um, I mean, what kid doesn't doesn't enjoy skipping school and hanging out with your with your best friend, your imaginary best friend, and your crush? <laughs> since now I'm in, I'm bought in on that. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Um, no, I you know I think he did, but um, I I mean I think he had fun, but I think that it also this was an important day for him in terms of. Um, you know, ultimately he, he learns or he, he gets the courage to stand up to his father. And I, and I think that that's, that's the most important takeaway for Cameron is that he gets the courage to stand up to his father. So, but I think he had fun. I, I think this was a good day for him. I think because of the emotional breakthroughs he had, I think he's going to wind up looking back on that day and realizing how much fun it was. And perhaps maybe in the moment it wasn't as fun, but I think he's going to look back and say, this was the day that everything changed. I got to check out my crush changing. Ooh, that smirk was like, ooh, that's kind of rapey, dude. <laughs> you better chill with that. <laughs> Forgot about that line until we yeah. saw it. And I was like, whoa, oh, that's right. Dang. Yeah. Damn it. But I think that's a very, Cameron. I think that's a very. Can't put that in a 2020 movie. No, no, not at all. Like, did you see me naked? He's like, nah. <laughs> But I think that's a very common thing with anxiety. People that have anxiety is hindsight is always more fun than it was in the moment. Like when I think about the fun that I've had in life, I've had a lot of fun in the moment. It wasn't fun at the time. No, like just like bar hopping, like just stuff that we've done is like I look back and people hear the stories like that's so much fun. I'm like, 
it wasn't really that fun at the time. Looking back, like, sure, I think I had a really good time. And I wish, I'm glad I did it. I'll say that. But in the moment, you're like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) See if I can get it right this week. Sure. Amanda, who do you think Dow is in this movie? Well, he's already said he's Cameron. But who do you think? Do you agree? Disagree with that assessment? Yes and no. Mm. Here we because go. I can definitely see Dow being a Cameron. So what would be your other your other lean towards if you had to pick? That's the thing is I don't know who the other half mm. of that is. You know what I'm, I mean? Like, I could at see, least I, from this movie. Sure, I could see us both being Camerons. Okay, I know what the other half is and you're not going to like it. I'm not. It's, it's Charlie Sheen. Oh, shit. That dude Ow. is fucking insightful in this movie. Oh. Not that you're a drug addict. No, no, no. But like he's very insightful and he f- he figures her out in two seconds. And he's like, "You want to tell me your problem? I know what your problem is, but do you want to tell it to me?" That's exactly like what that. you would do to Ryan at any moment yeah. in time. Let them sweep the driveway. <laughs> Motherfucker, <laughs> Dow, we don't, we can't let her into our secrets. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're she's already in. Amanda, I had one for you who I thought you were. Okay. You're gonna get oh, really okay. mad because it's not it's not insightful, and uh, we touched on it earlier. I think you're the cutest in the world. You're gonna call me Jeannie, aren't you? You have no some doubt. resting bitch face, like no other no, though. I, okay, it's but so scary I, sometimes. I'll look at you, and you're like, "What?" I'm like, "Are you mad?" And you're like, "Why?" <laughs> no, like, your face says one thing. <laughs> I don't disagree with you, not because of the resting bitch face, but like I identify with how she approaches things i feel like you're very much a fair play yeah yeah oh yeah like if not you like not you and not me like it's got to be either both us or neither one of us yes yeah i can see that so brandon i want you to understand this is why i'm picking you for this person oh god i don't know here we go (laughs) i know i just i'm pins and needles people no it's not it's nothing bad your grace you're Ed Rooney's assistant. You're the most fun. She's the most fun in this movie, and you're the most Dude, fun on this she podcast. Is, it's just like when we get to like awards, just, right? The Scordos, the dickheads. He's a righteous dude. The dickheads, the goths. Yeah, I did a double. I was walking away to the bathroom, and she was like, the dickheads. And I was like, wait, yeah. what? And, and what then, group is that? And then Jeannie walks away, and she's like, what a bitch. <laughs> I was like, that's. I was like, I, you know, obviously it's no big secret out of probably everyone on this podcast. I know you the least just because I don't live with you and I haven't lived with you at one point, Dal and Amanda. But Mm -hmm. I just every time Brandon talks, I laugh. It's usually like something super funny. And every time Grace says something in this thing, even her like, right. Even when she, when he, when Rooney gives her the phone, you're like, talk to him. And she's like, oh, oh, like, like, <laughs> I can't come up with anything. It's just fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. No, that's fair. I want to get to Ryan. Some, what? Ryan. No. Ryan would be, what do you mean? No. Oh. Ryan oh. wishes that he were a Ferris. You know who Ryan is? Who? Tell me. And he's going to hate me for this. I'm sorry. Yeah, probably. He's the kid. Taking a collection for Ferris because he wants to I be can Ferris. I see that because he wants to be Ferris so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can I be him? Maybe if I give him some money, he will tell me his secrets. 
Bert. You cold-hearted wench. <laughs> that okay. hurts. Y'all want to do some awards? <laughs> Let's do it. I don't have any hot takes here. It's okay, yeah, you don't we, need them. We can just run through them real quick. The Jordana McGuire Toby Brewster Award. Who's yours, Ryan? Fuck off. I that's why I got mad when you compared me to this person. It's the kid. Like, okay, I think top to bottom, top to bottom, this is a great cast. Everyone around, it's awesome. Even the parents, from the parents down to everybody. Okay, yeah, we'll shit on yours in a minute. Sure. The one that stuck out horribly was the kid asking for money. You heartless wench. I was like, oh, come on. Are you John Hughes's nephew? What? Who are you? I set you up for that one, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, who'd you have? <laughs> I had Ferris's dad. I felt like, and, and I, I understand that he's like, a, like he's sympathetic towards his son, but I just felt like it was a bit much. Amanda, you wrote yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that. We, we, I was confused by that. To both. Okay. <laughs> okay. It was meant to be ambiguous. That's fair. Fun fact about the parents: Did you know that in real life, those two are married? Shut up! Shut you up. shut your face. They're married. They met. On set, and they married. They had kids. Did they name one Genie? Not no. on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They Cindy, met on that set. They did. Cindy Pickett and Lyman Ward had, I believe, two children and are currently divorced. So <laughs> that's fine. I mean, <laughs> love, love, love in Hollywood's difficult. Brandon, do you have a nominee? It's it's gonna be uh, Jeffrey Jones, uh, Mr. Rooney. It's because <gasps> he's he's creepy. He's he is. Just, he creepy. is. He is, he is a creepy. creepy, creepy dude, and life imitates art. Art imitates life. <laughs> when he walks so, up in the arcade and he's like, "I got you behind," or whatever he says, and it's a girl, and he's just like, "Yeah." And you're like, "Did he not know that that wasn't Ferris?" Like, dude, he could have just been like, "Hey, Ferris." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Fun fact, Brandon. No, do don't you want, do, do you the wanna, fun fact. Do you want to tell him? Don't do the fun fact. No, What's you the got fun it. fact? Oh, I don't know it. How will y'all have a fun fact with each other? This, we don't know. Apparently, a- he's actually gotten in trouble for something. Jesus. That's where we're going with this. Okay. No, no, Rooney. <laughs> Let's just. What say, do you do? Uh, he is a registered sex offender. No. Now for Usually, you have to register when it's a underage. Pleaded no contest to a charge of soliciting a minor to pose for nude photography. No, son of a bitch. And then had a, a subsequent arrest for failing to update his sex offender status. Jesus. How do you forget that? Right How do you forget I was going to tell Rooney? a funny story about a molester mustache, but now I'm not going to say it. The Alonzo Harris Award for the best scene. Brandon, what do you got? It's the best scene. I mean, I think my favorite scene, I, we, I kind of already talked about this one, is going to be the, the, the museum scene. Mm. Just, the, just the way that it's, it's shot. And it just it looked like it was a ton of fun to to do and it also has a obviously a deeper meaning that we talked about so it's it's the museum scene for me yeah you totally blew my mind with that one. yeah you did dude like that that changes my perspective on that entire scene so i had the a more explicit scene than that was the ferrari crashing so same type of meta in terms of the feelings that are felt but much more explicit in how they convey that which like like Cameron literally trying to take control of his life by destroying the thing that his father loves to not allow that thing to overshadow himself in his father's eyes. It's a powerful way to be like, I'm going to take control. I don't care what the consequences are. I've, the only thing I've ever worried about in my life 
is consequences. And now I'm not going to worry about them at all and just know that this is going to be better for me in the end, even though in the short term, this is going to be really bad. I like it. Very well said. Mine is the most basic scene that this movie is known for. And everyone, Mm -hmm. you know, always comes back to this scene. It's the parade scene. I think the parade scene is great because it literally is the calm before the storm. Hey, let's have fun. We're going to have a, 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 you know, there's going to be a choreographed dance. There's going to be all these people joining in singing. We're going to have these great songs. And then all of a sudden the movie then takes a turn. And that's when it gets into the real nitty gritty of what the lesson is behind this movie. So Amanda. I'm agreeing with Dow on this one. Mm. Well, I'm actually agreeing with you too, but not for the same reason. Oh, well, what's your reason? It's the same scene as, um, Oh, that I mentioned before. The Cameron and Sloan. Cameron and Sloan. Yeah. The, the private conversation between Cameron and Sloan, you really feel like that they feel the weight of like this impending change in their life in that scene. Well, you notice it was the first time that he could really feel that he was confident enough to to make his move on her. That's why they're holding oh, hands. Stop. He didn't feel like he needed his imaginary friend there. Well, his friend is still stealing the scene, just not directly to them in that moment. He's always stealing the scene. Totally I get kidding. what you're saying, and I'm ignoring you, and I'm continuing on with <laughs> I'm what I'm totally saying. I'm totally kidding. I'm just saying. I just found it cool that they were holding hands in that scene. I was like, oh, another. The AC Law, the fourth award. Dow kick us off. To me, one of my favorite metrics to award this is the impact per word. (laughs) Like if I was if I was doing saber metrics, (laughs) yeah, saber metrics. It's like everything she says is just so hilarious. Like there's a scene where she's literally just pulling pencils out of her hair, and she's (laughs) like, "Where'd this come from?" Everything she says is just the funniest award and i've seen her in other things i believe she was in um what was the show with jason bateman hogan's it's not hogan's heroes that's a different show like the hogan family she was a neighbor in the hogan family she's been in other stuff but like this has got to be like one of her most iconic roles oh yeah definitely to kind of stick it more towards you shot out of a cannon then kind of like what happened kind of like ac law mine's mia sarah who plays sloan Mm-hmm. I, I think she's just one of those 80s actresses that it was what's going to be next, what's going to be next. And then she does Time Cop with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And then it was kind of, kind of, that's it. I'm, I mean, she's done other things, but as far as on the big screen, kind of like what happened? I don't know. Apparently this was considered her breakout role too. Like she had a, like a, a lot of potential and then just didn't go anywhere. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like. Brian, do you have one? I guess since the definition varies from week to week, yeah. I'm going to go with Charlie Sheen. Ooh, um, that's a good one. So uh, he comes off the, came off the bench, gave us some great minutes, uh, real spark plug. Um, but to kind of just circle back to the, what you guys were, I don't know if you guys, so like the Jennifer Grey thing for me, um, because mm-hmm. I, I was curious. I was like, oh, you know, super cute in the 80s. You know, it's great actress. What happened? And I don't know if you guys have ever, like, read up on her, but, like, she got a nose job. Mm-hmm. And, like, her, like, the they stopped calling, they stopped casting her. Mm-hmm. Her nose before was, like, this, it was almost iconic, like, in, in for, for her. 
and she was almost unrecognizable after the nose job is she did a tv show in the early 90s and they actually referenced that she plays an actress who used to be famous and is who no is no longer famous and she's like i should never should have never gotten the nose job and that was like a joke on the show it was a direct correlation i don't remember what the show was called i watched like one or two episodes it didn't last very long yeah when we were watching this uh i casually i casually mentioned to Lindsay that uh uh matthew broderick has killed someone and she's like what no way mm-hmm. um and so that was the first time uh, the other day that she dug into that uh that matthew broderick crash where he he killed two people what yeah uh, and got a slap on the wrist for it I what don't did he do that. was it dui or was so him and Jennifer Grey are – I'm pretty sure it's him and Jennifer Grey are in a relationship at this point. Oh. They're on vacation in Ireland, I think, mm-hmm. and he loses control of the car and kills a mother and daughter. Whoa. Um, oh, no. And he – like there's no – like there are no – I think he pays a fine for it ultimately uh, is what happens. No. Yeah, it's pretty it's – uh, it's a pretty pretty sad so story. Sad. But I think this um, – they, they broke up. Like they break up right after this. Uh, right after that car crash, like because they were a thing um, for a while, I think, and then they break up after the car crash. And it seemed like it kind of took their careers in a in a weird. I mean, they weren't like banished from Hollywood or anything like that, but they, it took a little while for their careers to kind of rebound after that. Uh, the Mark Wahlberg Award for the best acting performance. Doubt who you got, Cameron. Without a doubt, because again, the movie's about him, so. How could it not be? And that's how good his performance is, is you believe that the movie's about him, even though it's literally called Ferris's Bueller's Day Out. Right. I just put on here Matthew Broderick just to argue against Alan. Sure. Ruck, you had I, to put somebody yeah, else. But I think it's Alan Ruck, too. What about you, yeah. Brandon? Yeah, I'm going to go with Alan Ruck as well. Um, I think that, you know, he, he really captures an anxiety riddled teen very well. I think sometimes it's very easy to kind of go overboard especially mm-hmm. in that kicking of the kicking of the car scene i don't think once he overacts in that scene i think there's a handful of people at that time on his level meaning his experience level we'll call them bc bc tiers at that point right i don't think could have pulled that scene off no. very very few no I thought it was Alan Ruck too up until that scene. Wow. Not that he did not that he didn't do a good job, but mm-hmm. like watching the fear come across Matthew Broderick's face. Oh. That's good. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's like that's a moment where he you could see like, "Oh no, I might have taken this too far now." Mm. Because I caused this. But also because he's never seen Cameron in that way. Anyway, either way. I hold on, I want to push back on that real quick. I I okay. think that maybe that was him realizing that he's no longer going to be needed. <gasps> no, I disagree. I think I'm with Amanda on that. I think, I think, <laughs> no, I, and, and I think up until now, gasp, no, I know, but I, I yeah. think it's a thing where it's like up until this point, Ferris is always, and you can say this, like he's always felt bulletproof. Yeah. Any decision he's made has worked out. And for people that live like that, they live in a sort of bubble that they don't understand that there are consequences. Yeah. And in that moment, he's like, there is nothing that I can do to fix this. Right. And Absolutely. it is literally my fault. 
like the him seeing the emotion that's washing over Alan Ruck's face, Cameron's face, or it just in his actions, right? And then when the it, it's not even up until the car falls out, like or it's not even it's after the car falls that. up. It's way before, way before that. that. Just seeing that realization, like I don't have control of this situation anymore. My mouth cannot fix what's going on. Yeah. Up until that point, anything that Ferris has said has been gold. Right. Yep. There's nothing he can say. And even when he says, I will take the heat, he yeah. does it out of sympathy and not out of the idea that he can fix it. And he doesn't sound confident when he says No. It. He feels like he has to do it because yep. he owes his friend Cameron this solid because Cameron obviously did him such a great solid. So, yeah, I was 100% all in on Alan Ruck until that moment. And then I was like, oh, I don't know. That's fair. Real quick, we'll run through these quotes. Some of our favorite quotes. Everyone pick your favorite. Dow, you go. Uh, oh, God, there was a couple. Go for I, it. Same. It's fine. Okay, so obviously the life moves fast. That's one of the few times that I thought that Ferris was extremely insightful. I think that's absolutely true. And that's a thing where that's a great, uh, it's a great thing that he's Cameron's friend. Because I feel like Cameron's have a very big problem with that is every once in a while, you just do need to look around. Like Amy says this all the time. Like we'll be, the three of us will be sitting together with Joshua and she'll be like, let's just look at him real quick and just enjoy this moment. I'm like, no, but he needs to eat and he needs to do all this other stuff. She's like, no, let's just look at him quick. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, I thought another thing was when Cameron was in Egypt's land, he compared himself to like a biblical character. <laughs> <laughs> real quick that i wanted to say funny. one thing on the uh life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it okay go ahead yeah the number one yearbook quote in 1987 surprise it's a oh, great yearbook sure, quote dude. like <laughs> yeah i did like how the secretary was like she's like i don't trust him as far as i can throw him and she's like well with your bad knee you shouldn't throw anybody anywhere <laughs> 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 i thought that was funny as shit <laughs> I love her. Yeah, she's so funny. All right, that was mine. Amanda? Well, it's not even really a quote. It's just the scene in the car where Cameron's trying to hype himself up to go um, He's going to pick up. He's going to keep calling her. me. He's going to call me. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Yeah. And then he walks out. <laughs> yeah. And then he walks back in. And beats the shit out of his own car. Brandon, did you have any? Just uh, when his secretary is naming off all the groups of oh my all, all of those groups, um, <laughs> so many that I didn't even yeah didn't even know about in high school and not relevant right? today. Do they exist anymore? Are you gonna list them? Please list them. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads—they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. He's a righteous <laughs> dude. That's all right. The one I had, and it makes me laugh. Every single time, no matter what, is uh, Cameron as Sloane's father. Call me sir. God damn. <laughs> I crack up every fucking time. Rudy. <laughs> and then drugs. Drugs is just funny. Yeah. Drugs? No, I'm straight. <laughs> no, you in here for drugs? <laughs> Ratings. Ratings recommendations. We'll fire through those real quick. Dow, what's your rating? As an adult, I think I have to I have to bump this down to a two. Really? Yeah. And maybe it's a three for reasons that like if you can understand the meta, then it's a three. Like the idea of like 
it isn't necessarily cool to just do things without regard for people's feelings. But that's somebody that I would have to trust with the meta. If it's like some dickhead kid that's like YOLO all the time, I would never fucking introduce this move. Ever. Ever. Because they're just like, yes, whatever makes you feel good, just do it. I don't know. Because Ferris gets away with it. Exactly. Yeah. Amanda, what you got? Rating. Uh, I wanted to go first just because it's going to be obvious what I'm going to give it, right? I don't know. What are you going to give it? It's going to be a four. Whoa. I know. I give I don't give a lot of fours, but like the one you'll know immediately off like right off the bat when we're talking about a movie if I'm giving it a four. Because you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> this season. Yeah. If I'm on it, it's getting a four. I think it's an essential watch. Brandon, what do you got as far as your rating? You can throw a recommendation in there too if you want. I think that I usually I think this season I've given everything up four except for I can't. I can't even remember. I, I know that there's one three in there, but this one's also going to get a three. I like this movie. I I really like this movie. You know, I, I think it. Like you said, it's one of those movies that uh, combined with uh, a few others uh, in the '80s. I think it really defines the '80s teen. I think actually, I mean, to go a step further, I think that this is one of the movies that defines the teen movie genre. Period. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm going to give it a three. It's not a perfect movie. Um, so it's but it's a it's a it's a, it's such a strong three. If we were doing decimals like we did last year, it would get a decimal. They, do they have we done one of those yet? I don't think so. Uh, I've given one. I think. Yeah. Dow gave one because I, I don't give. Oh, you pulled an Amanda special. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't get fours very e- easily. So the decimals usually only come when I'm not here. And but it gives me a little special shout out at the end of the episode. I'm giving it a four because of the impact it had on the 80s and also because how it is still referenced today. I think this movie's timeless. Our 12 year old watched it with us as we were rewatching it, laughed, was like, oh my, how are they going to get the miles off? There's the dad. You know what I mean? I, I, whether you're 12, whether you're 42, whether you're 62, you'll enjoy this movie. And I think there's very few movies that can continue to do that. And it's also one of those movies, like I said, it ages with you. For recommendations, if, if we were going to do John Hughes movies, I think one of the most underrated John Hughes movies is The Great Outdoors. Check that one out. It's a lot of fun. It has nothing to do with Ferris Bueller, but it's fun. Dan Aykroyd and John Candy being brother-in-laws. It's so Ooh. much fun. And of course, Christmas Vacation. Can't believe we didn't do that one last year for Christmas. Mm. Two more recommendations. I know it's going to go long now, but they're both last hurrah high school movies. Dazed and Confused. So good. <laughs> and Booksmart. Never saw it. <gasps> you would like it. So and I was really, really hoping Antonio would make it onto this one, but he's not. But in, in honor of Antonio, here we go for FMK. Mia, Sarah, Jennifer Gray, Elizabeth Shue. You got to fuck one, marry one, kill one, go. Wait, I thought All it was right, Phoebe I'm- Cates. No, no, I'm switching it. He changed it. I changed it. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I didn't know if anyone knew who Phoebe Cates was, so that's why I changed it to Jennifer Grey. Uh, killing Elizabeth Shue. Uh, <sighs> fucking Mia Sarah, marrying um, Jennifer Grey or Phoebe Cates. Either one is fine. So we originally had Phoebe Cates in there. I changed it to Jennifer Grey just in case not everyone knew who Phoebe Cates was, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows who Jennifer Grey is, but I like it. Dow. Mia so Sarah, have, Jennifer Gray, slash Phoebe Cates, Elizabeth sure. Shue. Buck one, Mary one, come on, go. So I'll go slightly opposite. I'll go marry Elizabeth Shue, 
kill Mia Sarah, but still fuck Phoebe Cates or <laughs> Jennifer Grey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll fuck Elizabeth Shue, I'll marry Mia Sarah, and I'll kill Jennifer Grey. There's something about Mia Sarah that I've just always, I, I think she's just so awesome. But Elizabeth Shue, I had a crush on her ever since I was a little kid because of Karate Kid. Dude. No, for me, it was Back to the Future, dude. I guess I could kill Elizabeth Shue since I don't know who the fuck she is. <gasps> Back to the Future 2. She was the second one. Yeah. And I would marry Mia Sarah. Mm, that's, that's and sweet. fuck Jennifer Grey. This was a good time. I had fun with this one. I was I was kind of skeptical about like what we would have to talk about and if we were going to have fun with this one. This was a lot of fun. What's the ne- next movie? God, I'm so drunk. Oh my God. I know. What's the next movie? <laughs> so we have next week open. I don't know what we're going to do, but it might be one that we referenced earlier. It could be something we put to a vote. Now know. that we know that Brandon's a fan. Oh, okay. I thought we were. I thought we were talking about... I thought since we referenced Jeffrey Jones, I was like, wait, are we doing Amadeus? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it won eight Oscars. It's a lot of money. Dude, Amadeus is good. I love that movie. Me too. I saw it for the first time my freshman year in college, like in like art appreciation or some bullshit. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is this is the best fucking movie. This is this is why I paid all this money to take this class. <laughs> uh, I appreciate everybody. Thank you guys so much.